So you want to know the ins and outs of managing your money. Well, lucky for you, you're just in time for another episode of Master Your Finances with certified financial planner professional, Kurt Baker. Kurt and his panel of experts are here for you and will cover topics from a legal and personal standpoint. They'll discuss tax efficiency, liability, owning, managing, and saving your money, and more. Master Your Finances is underwritten in part by Certified Wealth Management and Investment and Rider University. Rider offers continuing studies programs for adults who need flexibility. Want to add new skills to your resume? Take a continuing studies course at Ryder University. Now, let's learn how we can better change our habits with Kurt Baker. Good morning and welcome back to another edition of Master Your Finances presented by Certified Wealth Management and Investment. I am Kurt Baker, a certified financial planner professional hosting your show today. My office is located in Princeton, New Jersey. I can be reached through our website, which is www.cw mi.us or you can call me directly it's 609-716-4700 this week i'd like to talk a little bit about uh, real estate investment trusts or reits as they're commonly known as and one of the reasons this came to mind for me personally is i just um, i had a client that just uh, we just onboarded and they brought over some real estate investment trust, and we had to have some conversations about that. Um, so I think it's uh, very timely. They're an interesting segment of the market that um, is used for sure, um, but not often really understood very well, at least by those who are purchasing them. I know many people have bought them and not not realizing that the pros and cons of the of the real estate investment trusts or REITs. So they can be very good, but on the other hand, there are some limitations, there are some restrictions that you need to be aware of in case uh, you are interested or have REITs. Um, it's a good idea, I think, um, to kind of understand them. So to begin, I'd just like to start off a little bit about what are they, right? Well, a real estate investment uh, trust or REIT, uh, these were established back in 1960, and they were an amendment to... Um, the cigar excise tax of 1960, and they allowed individual investors to buy shares in commercial real estate portfolios that receive income from a variety of properties, including apartment complexes, data centers, healthcare facilities, hotels, infrastructures such as uh, fiber cables and cell towers, emergency uh, energy pipelines, um, office buildings, retail centers self-storage, timberland, and warehouses. So most uh, real estates specialize in a specific real estate sector. And when somebody's describing these to you, they'll kind of go through that. So as an example, there may be one that's an office uh, REIT or a healthcare REIT or um, or maybe diversified or a specialty REIT. It may um, uh, hold different segments within there. May, there may be one that's a little bit more diversified, but usually they'll they'll kind of hone in on a particular area of expertise, and that is what um, they will purchase, and that they will use as far as the investment strategy goes. Because when you're when you're purchasing a REIT, of course, you're purchasing the managers and the, and the and the people who are actually running the real estate investment trust, and hopefully they have a very they are experts in the particular area that they're going into, and they really have kind of a straightforward. You know, business model. Um, they lease space, they collect rents on the properties, they distribute the income and the dividends to the shareholders. Um, and there's a couple of different kinds, which we'll talk about in a minute, but uh, I'll, talk, I'll, I'll discuss a little bit how you qualify. To be a REIT, 
the company has to comply with provisions of the Inter Internal Revenue Code, and that includes requirements to own primarily own income-generating real estate and for long-term uh, income and, distri and distribute income to the shareholders. So it has to be kind of a pass-through. It has to distribute the income to the, to the shareholders themselves. So it's really just a, a structure to hold the real estate in some cases, other segments of real estate like mortgages. And um, so some of the parameters are at least 75% of the assets uh, have to be in real estate cash or U.S. Treasuries. Treasuries They have to receive at least 75% of the gross income from rents uh, in real estate. Interest on mortgage financing of real, prop of real property or from the sale of real estate. So you can own the real estate, you can have mortgages on real estate, uh, and you can buy and sell real estate. So it's really designed to hold it, to buy and sell, and to have um, mortgage-type properties can be in REITs as well. It has to pay a minimum of 90% of the uh, income has to pass through, right? So it has to be, it comes and it comes out the other end uh, as taxable income in the form of shareholder dividends each year. So, so that comes across as a taxable dividend. Um, it has to be an entity um, that is taxable as a corporation. It has to be managed by a board of directors or trustees. It has to have a minimum of 100 shareholders after its first uh, year of existence and have no more than 50% of its shares held by five or fewer individuals during the last half of the taxable year. So there's some requirements about how many people have to be involved and, um, and, and so forth. So it can't be like a private type thing in most cases. When you have these publicly traded ones, you have to have a certain amount of distribution as far as the REIT itself. And there are a couple of different types of REITs. Um, the one that I think most people are really familiar with, frankly, is the equity REIT. And most of that in, in equity is really just the real estate itself. It buys, owns, manages income producing real estate, and the revenues are generated primarily through rents, but not by buying and selling the properties. So the idea being where I, I've seen this used a lot is people will purchase a REIT because they're going to have, um, they typically, if they're, if they're managed correctly, will have a little bit higher return because you are getting rents. And rents, um, as if, they're, if, if the real estate is properly purchased and managed, rents will tend to get a little bit higher return than things like maybe treasuries or some corporate bonds and things like that, because there's a higher risk involved in owning the actual real estate itself. And if anybody that's gone out and rented property, you know that you are paying a little bit more in rent when you own the property than you might uh, typically if you actually owned it and were paying a mortgage. Um, but of course, there's other issues with ownership. So, that, you know, as far as moving and stuff. So there's reasons that companies will buy uh, real estate. And there's other reasons that maybe they'd rather lease real estate. And so those people that are leasing the real estate, underneath that, you're going to have an entity that's actually buying, renovating, and um, administering the real estate itself. In fact, many large you know, five, Fortune 500 type companies really don't want to own the real estate because the theory being that they're not in the real estate business. So if you're a large pharmaceutical company or a tech company or something that gets a pretty high return on their capital, you're, you're, you're going to probably do better reinvesting that money into uh, the actual business than you are in the real estate because real estate is considered a relatively kind of a low burn return. It does okay over time. Um, it gets kind of a predictable return over time, and it's not real exciting, so to speak, if, and hopefully it's not exciting. If you've, um, if you've done everything correctly and you bought the property correctly and there aren't any um, issues with it, um, so that's why uh, you want to make sure you purchase it correctly because if, if there have been REITs in the past where they may have bought properties that you know, might have a contaminated site, as an example, and then they have trouble selling the property. So you can really have a, a damaging effect on the real estate investment trust. So it's really 
really important that the people who are uh, managing it are, are truly experts in uh, the commercial real estate world and specifically specifically the area that they're investing the, uh, the money. Um, another one that's been pretty popular is a mortgage REIT, um, and that is really lending money to the real estate owners and operators, uh, either directly through mortgages or in loans or indirectly through the acquisition of what we call mortgage-backed um, securities. So they'll buy the securities. And their earnings are generated primarily by the net interest margins, which is the spread between the interest they earn on the mortgage and the cost of funding the loans. So they're going to uh, borrow a little bit lower and earn a, a spread, so to speak, by lending it out on the real estate itself. Um, and so that's one way to do it. And when you do a mortgage REIT, one of the things you want to pay attention to is what is the leverage on the, the real estate investment trust, right? What is the leverage? And that's true for the, for the equity one as well. So when you buy into a REIT, um, you, you pay attention to things like that. In other words, if you own commercial real estate as an owner, you could own it outright, no mortgage whatsoever on the real estate, um, just like you can on your home. Uh, and so if you're buying a REIT, the leverage of the REIT is important to understand from a risk profile. One that's lowly leveraged is going to tend um, to be much more secure because if there's a downturn in rents or if you lose a large tenant or one of your buildings has an issue, uh, much more likely you're still going to get some time of reasonable return. But, of course, um, you're, you're not leveraging either, right? So if you're not leveraging, your, your, um, your risk uh, is lower, but your return in theory is a little bit lower. If you are leveraging and you got a good interest rate on the mortgage itself, you may, you're still going to get, of course, the same rent, but that capital you're investing, if you're putting, let's say, 50% down, you could theoretically buy twice as much real estate with the same amount of capital, and therefore your, your return might be a little bit higher. So uh, sometimes people look at these different REITs and say, oh, wow, this REIT gets a much better return than, than you know, REIT A may get a re better return than REIT B. Uh, but there's reasons. There's risk profiles and there's things to pay attention to. Um, and the third type uh, is the REIT is used as, as an investment to, to do both, both equity and mortgages. So in theory, you can you can blend these th two things together. And um, it's important to understand, as I said, the risk profile of them, not only from like what type of property that they own, but also uh, what the leverage is of the, of the real estate investment trust. And when we come back for the break, we'll get a little bit more involved in exactly uh, some of these things that you need to pay attention to and what you need to watch out for. We'll be back in just a few minutes. This is Master Your Finances with Kurt Baker, Certified Financial Planner Professional. Learn about tax efficiency, liability, owning, managing, and saving your money and more from Kurt and his experienced panel of guests. Master Your Finances is underwritten in part by Certified Wealth Management and Investment and Rider University. Rider University offers flexible education for adult learners. For more information, it's rider.edu slash next step. Welcome back. You're listening to Master Your Finances, and I'm Kurt Baker, Certified Financial plan, Planner Professional, and I'm talking uh, about REITs. Uh, and the reason, uh, which are the reason I'm talking about it, is because I recently had a client that uh, came on board, and they brought over some real estate investment trusts, assets, or REITs, and we had to take a look at those. And I thought it was a pretty timely subject, just because I've recently been dealing with this, as far as some of the pros and cons of the REITs. And so I want to kind of walk through. We were talking about a little bit about the basics. 
there's several different types of real estate investment trusts. Uh, the first one I talked about was the equity type, which is owning the actual real estate. And you can purchase many different types of real estates. I know things like um, these mini storage places that you see everywhere. I recall when those first came online and people started investing in those, I believe it was the 70s, that I started seeing these things like everywhere. I was young at the time, but it was very popular. They were considered very high return. People didn't know what to do with their stuff. Um, so these little storage facilities were popular. Most of those were being funded through these real estate investment trusts. So they'd go out, they'd raise the money, they'd go out, and then they would find a location that was near a large city where people would typically be in small apartments, but they might be moving from the suburbs and into the city or whatever the case may be, and they'd have extra things that they had to get rid of. Um, so it, that was an area that was very, very popular for real estate investment trusts. I'm seeing more recently people are purchasing um, some of these class A commercial real estate type real estate investment trust. And the reason I believe we're seeing a lot of that is because we had the real estate collapse, so to speak, and the market collapse back in 08 and 09. And real estate was depressed and mortgage, the mortgage market was depressed. And many people saw an opportunity. And so people, so some of these real estate investment trust experts were going out into the market purchasing uh, some real estate at distressed prices, in some cases purchasing mortgages at, at, distressed, at distressed prices. Uh, investors were coming in and buying a piece of that through a real estate investment trust. And if they were successful, they were getting a pretty good return. Now, now here we are in 2019. This is this has matured con considerably since the 0809 period of time. Uh, real estate appreciations have tempered a little bit. Um, which is going to uh, eat into the return on, on a real estate investment trust, not to say they're, st they're not necessarily a good idea or a bad idea. It, it really depends. I think you have to be more selective about what types of real estate investment trusts you buy and be a little more um, understanding as far as where the market has happened, uh, is going because it's flattened out a little bit. Uh, another area that you can buy a, a real estate investment trust is mortgages, as I mentioned before the break. So you purchase a mortgage real estate investment trust, which is primarily looking at financing uh, the mortgage side of that. They'll borrow money at a lower interest rate. They'll relend it out to the real estate investment trust. They'll leverage the uh, yield between the two. And if they do their job correctly and they stay on a low uh, loan to value or having a high equity position, in other words, if it's not a highly leveraged mortgage REIT, um, your risk profile should be should be pretty low. And if the asset class is, um, is strong, in other words, a class A uh, office building is typically considered a little less risky um, than, a, than a, um, a Class C, which is a, a lower level of, of uh, desirability, so to speak. Uh, you know, Class A, you'll typically see a Fortune 500 company in. Class B is in between. Class C is kind of your, your lower rent stuff that um, is not necessarily fancy, but it gets the job done, so to speak. So if you're not really concerned about, quote, image, um, and you're more concerned about getting inexpensive rent, you might go into a uh, an older building, so to speak. But so a lot of it has to do with the leverage of the real estate investment trust, the asset quality of the real estate investment trust, and kind of where that particular segment of the market is going. You have to pay attention to all of those things. And that's why some things people are kind of looking at these now, because we have gone through this long real estate appreciation cycle and interest rate. So are starting to edge their way back up again. And when interest rates start to go up a little bit, what happens is um, the loan or the mortgage underneath is going to, it works inversely. So a bond price will go down if the rate goes up, so to speak, because now you can buy, purchase another, the same exact bond um, at a higher yield. So the existing bond, if you have a bond, let's say at 
and then all of a sudden you can get a bond at 7%, your 6% bond is not throwing off as much income as a 7% bond would. So your 6% bond just went down slightly as far as the actual underlying assets. So this is something that people are looking at and paying attention to as far as from the investment side. And that's another reason I think these real estate investment trusts are kind of timely to take a look at them and really uh, pay a lot of attention to them because uh, they've done really well over a period of time. I think right now, I would have a much more critical eye on them and be very, very selective if I was going to get involved in one of these um, to understand exactly what I'm getting and um, and, and understanding the, the trend of the underlying asset class itself is kind of important in my opinion. Um, so the three basics are really, um, there's publicly traded real estate investment trusts or REITs, and those um, are listed on the, um, the National Security Exchange and they're bought and sold by individual investors, and they're regulated by the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, or commonly known as the SEC. So these are kind of out there. They're fairly liquid, and you can typically get in and out of them a little bit easier than some of the other types that are here. Then you have like the non-publicly traded REITs, and they're also registered with the SEC, but they don't trade on a national exchange. Um, as a result, they're less liquid than publicly traded REITs, and they tend to be more stable because they're not subject to market fluctuations. So in other words, you're really paying attention to the asset class itself, but they're not publicly traded, so you can't just you know log into your computer, so to speak, and just sell sell your particular um, portion of the REIT. You're going to have to go and, and have the understand the rules and regulations for that particular real estate investment trust as far as what options are available. And then the third one is a private. Uh, real estate investment trust, and they aren't registered with the SEC, and they don't trade on a national ex- uh, chain exchange. They tend to be smaller. They're not as liquid, and so um, you have to understand if you purchase one that's not um, traded in some way, shape, or form. If you if you want to get out of that real estate investment trust at some point, you have to understand the pros and cons of what that might be. So here's some basic pros and cons of just owning a real estate investment trust. Some of the pros are. Um, in some cases, you can buy them uh, and sell them if they're pu- publicly traded. You can buy them the liquidity, right? So you got to pay attention to liquidity. They tend to um, have what they call a low correlation. In other words, if the stock market is, is bouncing around a little bit, the um, real estate investment market does not tend to move around quite as quickly. So some people use that as another asset class for, uh, as opposed to stocks, bonds. This is kind of another one that it doesn't, it doesn't fluctuate quite as quickly. Uh, and sometimes it kind of levels out some of the returns that you have inside your portfolio. And so it can play a part as far as that goes. Another, um, some of the cons are they tend to have uh, a low growth. They pay 90% of the income back to the investors. So only 10% of the income can be reinvested. Uh, so you will be getting a dividend or uh, if, they're, if they're paying out, or you may get some type of capital gain return. The dividend is going to come out as regular income. But if they're buying and selling the real estate internally, there may be some pass-through on capital gains as well, which you are going to take that as uh, as well. But you're going to get taxed at the uh, the capital gains rate, depending on you know how long they held it and so forth. Uh, market risk they don't um, they don't guarantee any kind of profit. They're subject to the real estate market, so if the real estate market takes a hit, takes a crash, so to speak, in that particular segment of the real estate market that you're invested in, then your REIT is going to go down in value. In fact. Um, there's also regulatory risk, which uh, happened to me when I first got into the uh, investment business many, many, many years ago. They had a depreciation cycle, which allowed investors to write off their uh, real estate very, very, very quickly. It was accelerated uh, depreciation. And then they changed the law and they eliminated that. And what ended up happening is people ended up overvaluing the property based on the tax benefit. And as soon as they took that tax benefit away, 
these real estate in, uh, investments dropped over literally overnight as soon as the law changed because they did not grandfather in the previous investors in this case, which uh, is fortunately not typical, but the government does do that sometimes. They will change laws, tax laws, and they will not uh, necessarily grandfather you. And so you have to always be aware of um, if something looks a little too good to be true, you have to be aware of what that downside risk might be. And um, so that is one of the things sometimes real estate is, is treated a little bit better because you do have deductions and so forth. Um, another con of a REIT, of course, it's uh, hands-on management, so to speak. So, and that means you literally have somebody going out to the real estate, managing it. Um, so the fees tend to be a little higher within a real estate investment trust um, because you do have somebody who has to buy, sell, lease, you know, manage it in, in every way, shape, and form, just like just like any other real estate that you might own. But they're doing it on a larger scale. There are some efficiencies of scale if they uh, purchase a large REIT. Um, so. That's kind of how it does, uh, how it goes. But you have to be very, very careful. Um, and and one another pro, of course, is that they do, especially in the last ten years, they've done fairly well as far as the return goes because the real estate market was coming back, rates, interest rates were pretty low, and so we were seeing kind of a, a double plus there, so to speak, because the low interest rate market and the fact that we were depressed in real estate back in 0809, uh, they did pretty well over the, over that ten year period. We'll come back. We'll talk a little bit about some of the specifics of what I'm dealing with as far as the real estate investment trust that came over and some of the decisions that had to be made about those investments. And I'll talk about that a little bit. We'll come back from the break in just a few minutes. This is Master Your Finances with Kurt Baker, Certified Financial Planner Professional. Learn about tax efficiency, liability, owning, managing, and saving your money and more from Kurt and his experienced panel of guests. Master Your Finances is underwritten in part by Certified Wealth Management and Investment and Rider University. Rider University offers flexible education for adult learners. For more information, it's rider.edu slash next step. Welcome back. You're listening to Master Your Finances. I am Kurt Baker, Certified Financial Planner Professional. We're talking about real estate investment trusts, or they're commonly known as REITs. Um, as I mentioned, there's really there's really three different types, quote unquote, of REITs as far as the uh, asset class. One is you've got equity REITs, which are, are just the real estate itself. You have um, the mortgage REITs, which is just the mortgages. And then you have the hybrid REITs, which would uh, can be a combination of both, where they can buy and sell real estate as well as they can uh, have mortgages involved. So they can kind of they have a little more flexibility. Uh, very important if you're purchasing a REIT to understand what that is purchasing. As an example, even when you purchase, let's say, an equity REIT, which means it's 100% equity, they're buying the more they might be buying um, the real estate cash, or they might be leveraging it at 50%. So you understand, it's important to understand the leveraging of it. But then on, on top of that, it's very important to understand what are they buying underneath that and what's the risk profile about that. And some of the more common ones are um, Class A uh, office space, which means they might be going to a large city. They might be buying um, you know, a, a large you know, things like the Empire State Building might be purchased through a REIT. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's the type of thing that a REIT might purchase. And uh, then they'll sell shares off and say, oh, yeah, I want to own part of this. And they may own other buildings similar to that. And, uh, but they also might own things like apartment buildings. And one of the differences is, of course, uh, is, as an example, commercial real estate, 
has longer term leases. So if, if, a, if a large corporation moves into a, a, um, a building, they're typically going to be there, you know, three, five, 10, 15 years uh, in many cases. So it tends to be pretty stable. However, if you purchase, let's say, an apartment building REIT, uh, as many of us know, if you per- if you move into an apartment building, you're typically going to have a lease for 12 months, maybe 24, but usually they're 12-month leases. So you're, you're much more subject to how the real estate market is reacting. And let's say rents go up really, really high in an apartment building, as an example. If you're a, if you're a young person, you're renting an apartment, many people want to purchase at some point. So if that rent gets high enough, you may find that it's cheaper for you, if you're going to be in the area long enough, to go out and just purchase something. Uh, so you have to be consciously aware of like how that underlying asset class works. And so what is your real risk and what's going to happen as far as that goes? And now on the other side, if you're if you're actually buying a REIT, and here's something that it's really important that people understand when they purchase REITs. Uh, many times you're gonna have you're gonna buy into a REIT. They're not they're relatively illiquid in many cases, depending on the REIT itself. Because remember, they're going out and literally buying real estate, so they can't just sell off you know a, a part of the building as an example and give you back your money. Somebody else has to typically come back in there. If it's publicly traded, you're just going to go out and trade it, right? So somebody else is going to say, "Okay, I'll buy it," just like stock. They're going to just purchase your your interest in that, and that's very common with larger more robust REITs where the, where the assets are pretty well understood and they're considered relatively low risk. If you get into some of the smaller ones and the less liquid ones, you may have to go by whatever their rules are. And this I ran into as far as some of the real estate that came over. They're, non, they're not publicly traded. And so there's four of them that came over. And of these four publicly traded REITs, two of them had um, a redemption uh, policy. So every quarter they are willing to essentially make you an offer. They will buy back your shares of the REIT. So in one case, the REIT, um, they, they come out, of course, if you get a statement, you're, they're going to have a valuation on the statement. And that's done through their accounting and the audit. They're going to do these audits. Typically, they're quarterly, uh, maybe annually, but they're going to do periodic audits on the REIT. Somebody's going to come in, an outside third-party accounting firm typically will come in and audit it, say, here's what we think the, the buildings are worth, here's what we think uh, the mortgages are worth, whatever's involved in there. Periodically, they're going to come out and do that. And then they're going to tell you, here's your value, and they're going to put it on your statement. You're going to say, okay, well, there's my value. Let's say it's worth $12 a share as an example. Okay? Uh, and you're going to say, oh, great. I'm going to ask my here's what it's worth, right? $12 a share times however many shares you have. That's my valuation, right? Just like a stock. Now, if you go to one of these redemptions, in one case, they allow you to redeem all of the shares every quarter. So let's say I go, oh, I want to redeem all of my shares. Well, in the one case, they're going to redeem it back at the actual price you originally paid. And what they mean by that is the original value that they sold the REIT at. In this case, they were all sold at $10 a share. So if I sold them at $10 a share to you, uh, you owned it several years, now they're worth $12, you're pretty happy. It's worth 20% more than what you paid for it. And uh, now you're saying, okay, uh, for whatever reason, I've decided I no longer want to be involved in this real estate investment trust. It's not publicly traded, so I can't sell it to somebody else. I need to redeem. In this case, we have redemption policy, so you're happy. Oh, great. They're going to buy back these shares. In this case, they're going to buy them back at $10. So your asset value uh, may show $12 on your statement, but if you go to sell it, you're only going to get $10. Of course, you've gotten the income over time from all the rents that pass through. Remember, 90% of that money is flowing through the real estate investment trust, and you're actually receiving it as income on an annual basis. But then if you go to redeem it, 
you're gonna ha- you're gonna get back in this particular case. This is what they offer to pay to pay you back exactly what you paid originally. And in many cases, the other piece of that is sometimes there will be early termination. So if you sell it too soon, they may charge you fees on top of that. They may charge you you know one, two, three, four, five percent um, or or more uh, during the periods of years. So let's say if you let's say there might be a ten year period. Like the first year, they might charge you nine percent, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. As an example, over the years, it might decline each year by one percent, and then so you're going to pay that early termination fee as well because they have to they have to literally buy back your shares, and then they're going to hopefully either keep them or they're going to resell them to somebody else, and that's why they do it that way. Because remember, these are not publicly traded, um, so that's the one type. As far as um, they offer a redemption, they redeem it back at the original amount you paid. So even though the value of the real estate has gone up somewhat, you're only going to get that $10, even if it's worth 12 or 13 right now. Another one that we have here is that they will purchase, they will buy back the shares at the current valuation. So in the same example, they will purchase back your shares at $12 if that's the valuation. And they will do it on a quarterly basis. So each quarter you can fill out a form and say, yes, I want to redeem all of my shares of this particular real estate investment trust. And you submit the forms back um, to the company that's managing everything, the real estate investment trust. However, what they do is they're going to assemble all of these forms together and they are going to only liquidate a certain amount, whatever they feel they can responsibly liquidate. And so in this case, fourth quarter of 2018, they only honored 11% of what was requested. So if you want to, sh- if you want to liquidate all of your shares, um, if you if you had um, $100,000 worth of shares that you want to liquidate, and that's on your statement, and you made put in a request to liquidate all $100,000, you would have gotten $11,000. You would have gotten 11% of what your request was, and that would have been paid out first quarter of, of this year. Of course, you can make that same request this quarter as well, but assuming you did that. Uh, every quarter, and they always gave you 11%. That's going to take you, what, roughly nine quarters to liquidate everything. So it's going to take you a while. So be aware that you can't just turn it on and off. And uh, in this particular case, that's the way this one worked. They do have a redemption, but they're going to restrict it to a certain amount that they're going to actually redeem, and they'll only honor that percentage that they can um, as far as what they feel they can. And then the last one, which are ones that are just not traded, and the company itself does not have a redemption policy. In other words, they don't have any way. They're saying, look, you bought the shares. They're yours. Congratulations. You're getting your return. We're passing through 90% of the income, the dividends and the capital gains, whatever that might be. So you're getting that every year. But you're like, hey, look, I want to sell this. Now what you have to do is you have to go to market makers. And what these are, these are these are usually they're different companies that specialize in underwriting and looking at these different real estate investment trusts. So they're going to take a look at this investment trust and say, okay, I, I understand what it is. Normally they're going to be something smaller or they're going to be less liquid, so to speak, obviously, or, or people just sell them, right? So they're a little bit more unique. So they're going to take a look at it and they're going to, they're going to actually just make a bid. They're going to say, okay, I will purchase that from you and I will buy it directly from you. Um, and, and that's what's going to happen. It's going to be a direct exchange from you to this company who's just willing to pay for it. And what I'm noticing is when that happens, of course, it's very illiquid. The REIT's not willing to buy it back. There's no ready market. There's no um, selling it, buying and selling it on the stock exchange, so to speak. So it's not listed. And in this case, you're going you're to you're gonna have to you're going to expect to get 
maybe half of the valuation, maybe a little more than half. So if you owned $100,000 of this stuff that was not had no market and you had to go to these different market makers, you'd be getting somewhere in the 55, maybe $60,000 range of this $100,000 asset sitting on your statement. So you just have to be aware of what that is. Of course, you can always keep it and continue to get that income, but be aware of what you own. And in the case where you might need to liquidate it, um, understand the options that are out there and what may end up happening if you really do have to make a liquidation for any reason whatsoever. We'll be right back. This is Master Your Finances with Kurt Baker, Certified Financial Planner Professional. Learn about tax efficiency, liability, owning, managing, and saving your money and more from Kurt and his experienced panel of guests. Master Your Finances is underwritten in part by Certified Wealth Management and Investment and Rider University. Rider University offers flexible education for adult learners. For more information, it's rider.edu slash next step. Welcome back. You're listening to Master Your Finances. I am Kurt Baker, a certified financial planner professional. We're talking about real estate investment trusts or REITs, which often is in the news, uh, both good and bad. Um, they're known to be good when uh, real estate investment trusts, of course, are getting a nice return. And that's been happening uh, for many of them over the last uh, decade or so, because in, prim in part due to the fact we had low interest rates and we also had a depressed real estate market in some areas because of the economic uh, uh, challenges we went through in the 08-09 range. And that was part of the general uh, recovering of the process, so to speak. And now people are taking kind of another look. I think you just need to be much more critical about what you buy and how you buy it and what asset classes you're in and what you do about that, so to speak. So... Um, when you purchase, as I mentioned before, you've got really three different types. You've got the equity real estate investment trust, which is basically just the assets, the, the real estate, the brick and mortar, so to speak. Um, or you've got the mortgage ones, which is the loans against it, or hybrid, which can involve all of all three, um, both the equity as well as the lending. And they can, of course, go either way, depending on what they feel is better. So more flexibility doesn't necessarily mean better execution, um, but you... You, you do have more, uh, the ability to diversify more. So these REITs really come down to uh, analyzing who is running the REIT, what their, their track record has been, the success has been on previous real estate investment trusts they've had, and uh, are they in their lane, so to speak? Are they, still are they still buying it? So if the person has expertise in commercial real estate, meaning like an office building type thing or a strip center, even office buildings and strip centers are different, right? It's real retail is, is very different than office space, which is very different than apartment buildings. Um, as far as how they operate and what their cycles are. So the experts that are buying this stuff, really, you really need to pay attention to that. Uh, I mentioned that some of the liquidity issues with, with real estate investment trusts um, are of concern to some people. There are ones that are large enough and they are uh, registered on the uh, stock exchange where you can uh, buy and sell them fairly easily, uh, which is nice if you have to liquidate something uh, quickly. Uh, it's, it's pretty much like buying or selling a stock. And then you have other ones that have redemption policies where you can essentially sell the shares back to the real estate investment trust. Those are typically exercised on a quarterly basis. So you just need to know 
what that is and what the formula is. As I mentioned, some of them will do it at 100% of the valuation. However, they may not necessarily redeem all the shares you request, and you have to be aware of that. Others may redeem all the shares regardless, but they might redeem them at the original price or some formula they have. So when you do this, you just need to understand the formula and how they're going to do it when you go in. Also, you have ones that are not publicly traded, which I think is really critical. Many people don't understand that there are uh, real estate investment trusts that do not trade and you have to go to a market maker. And these market makers are essentially private companies who are willing to buy the real estate. And so they're not necessarily large companies, but in some cases they are larger, but that's really their job is to come in and try to get a yield off of something that's not liquid. So it's a business model for them. And the ones I've looked at recently, the, uh, the quotes that were given uh, net of the fees, there's fees when you trade these things. Of course, the person that's actually executing it has to get paid something. Uh, you're, you're lucky to get about 55% of what you actually owned uh, in that range. And that's not uncommon. You're typically going to take a pretty good discount as well. And another thing that REITs often have is they'll have some type of early termination fee involved um, because they, uh, there's usually a commission involved somewhere that somebody had to sell this real estate investment trust, and that's many times a way to recapture some of the costs that were uh, associated with actually selling the real estate investment trust in the first place. Um, some of them have some protections in them, uh, and, and this is typically with like a loan uh, REIT or a mortgage REIT, where they're going to have what are called yield maintenance penalties. And what that is, um, that can be true of any type of commercial loan. What will happen is if, uh, let's say I, I lend it to a large corporation on a commercial building, rates adjust or they go down, and the commercial real estate um, owner, the person that owns the building, says, hey, I want to refinance my building, right? We had a lot of that going on when rates were coming down. What this does is if you refinance the building, they're going to charge a fee um, to basically uh, guarantee they get the return they originally thought they were going to get or, or some portion thereof. So let's say there was a 5% interest rate on the mortgage and um, rates go down to three and a half as an example. And you decide, hey, I think I'm going to refinance this mortgage. Well, that's great. But the person who lent you the money in the first place thought they were getting a 5% return. They sold it out that way. They have what they have. They'll have some type of many times they'll have some type of yield maintenance formula to try to get somewhere close or even guarantee that original five percent return on the mortgage. And so just be aware of that. That's that's actually a positive as far as the investor side. If you're on the borrowing side, be aware of that as well. Because if you're borrowing money, you want to be aware of what you're locked into and whether or not you have to. If you think you may want to refinance for any reason, and that could not just be for a lower rate. You may have the building appreciating and decide, hey, I think we want to borrow some more money on this building for whatever reason. The, the valuation went up and maybe you want to, we want to do something else with the building and we want to take some cash out, um, purchase other things with it, maybe improve the building in some way, shape or form. If you're paying off that first mortgage that had that yield maintenance uh, clause in there, you may end up paying some extra fees and costs that you didn't originally uh, think about when you when you went out there. So realize what you're getting involved in upfront 
and make sure that you pay attention to that and pay attention to it from both a positive and a negative side and really understand uh, anytime you get involved in uh, a REIT, which is considered an alternative investment, in other words, less liquid typically than other types of investments, it's very important to really understand it. A lot of times people get sold on the yields. They'll see these high yields. And they'll say, wow, that's great. I'm going to get X yield, 12 13% yield over the next five years or so. But there are some downsides to it as well um, other, because they're competing against other asset classes, right? So just, just kind of be aware of it. I'm not saying they're bad, um, but in some cases they're not appropriate um, because if you need to liquidate that asset in the next three or four years and you uh, have to hold it for at least 10 before you're going to pay uh, these fees, that's not good because now you, you have to, to sell them out. Uh, another is in estate planning as well. If you are an older person, so to speak, that may feel at some point that the estate is going to have be liquidated or transferred to another generation or to another person or a spouse or whatever the case may be, now they're going to have to deal with the options within uh, things like a real estate investment trust. And not everybody, even if you're very sophisticated and understand all of this stuff, just be, just be aware that if you have one, as an example, that's a non-traded REIT, and all of a sudden maybe you're going to maybe you're going to leave it to your children or your grandchildren, and they may want to go to college with this money, right? Maybe they can't. Maybe maybe the whole idea is they're going to do something else with it. If they were to, to inherit it, be, be aware there may some, be some difficulties in um, in selling it. And in the case uh, that I was working on recently. We're only getting about fifty-five percent of the of the of the value on the statement when it's a non-traded REIT. So they're not necessarily going to cash out at what you might think they're going to cash out. Uh, so just just kind of be aware of the pros and cons of the different types of real estate investment trusts are out there. Another thing I, I like to just mention on occasion because I like people to be uh, very aware of the fact that not everybody is up and up about what they're doing. In fact, here's another. Unfortunately, another advisor and the business I'm in, but they ha- they're out there. Unfortunately, just be aware of uh, who you're dealing with on any level whatsoever, and especially when somebody's uh, dealing with your money. And here's somebody that uh, down in Virginia Beach, he was just um, he was sentenced to uh, 13 years in prison for running essentially a Ponzi scheme over the last 13 years through his investment firm. Uh, the court, according to the court documents, 47 year old Edward Lee Moody, uh, he was a sole owner of a Registered investment advisory firm at CM Capital Management. He solicited investors on the basis that he would invest their assets and securities on their behalf and manage those assets on an ongoing basis. Instead, he essentially ran a Ponzi scheme. He solicited and collected about $6.6 million from 55 investors, and at least 13 of the investors were elderly people who liquidated their assets from their existing legitimate retirement accounts in order to provide the funds to him, in which they expected he would invest on their behalf. And unfortunately, he ended up using this money for personal benefit. It went into his own uh, account. He used it through companies and so forth. Um, make sure whenever, and I've said this many times, make sure when you invest money with anybody, any any brokerage firm or any investment firm, that you understand who the custodian is. And the custodian is the one that's responsible for watching after your funds. <clears throat> and that's going to be somebody um, that you can check out and you can make sure the assets are actually where you think they are. And don't always, don't pay a lot of it. I mean, you can pay attention to the statements that are generated by an individual company, but also make sure you're looking at the statement where the assets are, are literally being held. Okay. So just make sure you understand it. There's a lot of risk, especially as we get older, 
there's a lot of scams out there that go on there. And also millennials are also being subject to this. A lot of millennials are being um, scammed as well. And they think that just because they don't have a lot of assets, then they may be scot-free as well. So just keep on your toes. Be aware. If it's too good to be true, it might be. Usually it is. Um, you've been listening to Master Your Finances. I appreciate you listening in. I'm Kurt Baker, Certified Financial Planner Professional. You can reach me through our website, which is uh, cwmi.us. You can listen to this podcast and all of the podcasts at masteryourfinances.us. Remember, you, um, together we can master your finances so you can reach financial peace of mind. That was this week's episode of Master Your Finances with Kurt Baker, Certified Financial Planner Professional. Tune in every Sunday at 9 a.m. to expand your knowledge in building and managing your wealth. Missed an episode? No worries. You can subscribe to a free weekly episode of Master Your Finances to listen to on your favorite podcasting platform. Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, whatever. Master Your Finances is underwritten in part by Certified Wealth Management and Investment and Rider University. Rider offers continuing studies programs for adults who need flexibility. Want to add new skills to your resume? Take a continuing studies course at Rider University.